Chase, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I just saw your message about check the settings and then the audio. Let's see. Yeah, on there, just check see what it's saying on there, and you'll be able to uh, adjust from that point. I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind MAPCO at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542-6. 265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. In October 2019, Arlington, Texas was chosen to be the home of a new national museum, unlike any other. The National Medal of Honor Museum will be a unique home of military history. The 100,000 square foot museums will house exhibits, archives, and artifacts relating to the 3,500 U.S. troops who have been awarded the medal, the nation's highest honor for valor in combat. The museum will have 31,000 square feet of galleries dedicated to U.S. troops who have received the award. The museum CEO, former Navy SEAL and NASA astronaut Chris Cassidy said the museum will focus on education as much as preservation. The building will have five areas dedicated to Medal of Honor winners from the Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, and Coast Guard. The main gallery will be located in a central plaza under a 25,000 square foot slab of steel which will appear to be suspended in midair. It will be supported by five pillars. Black Rifle Coffee is a corporate sponsor of the museum, as are the Dallas Cowboys. The museum's board also includes over a dozen major corporations and six Medal of Honor recipients, including David Bellavia, Patrick Brady, and Britt Slabinski. Army Staff Sergeant Bellavia was awarded the medal for clearing an entire house by himself on November 10, 2004, as a squad leader in support of Operation Phantom Fury in Fallujah, Iraq. He killed four enemy fighters and wounded a fifth in close quarters battle. Army Major General Brady flew and coordinated the evacuation of 51 seriously wounded men during a firefight in Vietnam in January 1968. Slabinski, a Navy SEAL chief and team leader, led a rescue team of SEALs during Operation Anaconda in Afghanistan in March 2002. Slabinski and his team flew to a mountaintop ambush site to rescue Petty Officer First Class Neil Roberts, who had fallen from the back of a helicopter. Slabinski led the team through almost constant combat against an entrenched Taliban force. 
Along with the board members, former presidents Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama serve as honorary directors. The museum is expected to open to the public in late 2024. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Fit Nation. We are a show founded by a veteran and hosted by two veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with Ms. Nation. If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on and share some of your tips with the Misfit Nation to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success. If you're a veteran, first responder, or Gold Star family, we would love to have you come on and just share your story with the Misfit Nation. We always have time for you. If you're feeling down, alone, or starting to see the darkness. Stop. Think about those who are around you. You are not alone. You will be missed. If you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle or are embarrassed, dial 988. If you are a veteran, take option one. We need you to keep pushing forward. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell to keep you up to date with our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Heroes Media Group and About Face Radio. Now, let's get to the show. Right, welcome back to the Misfit Nation. Our Thursday after dinner show is live. Sorry for the technical difficulties at the beginning. We were wrestling with uh, some audio issues on both sides of mine and the guest side. But it, that just means that we'll be able to have a good show moving forward. Uh, again, our thoughts are with those who are fighting in the Middle East right now in, in Israel and uh, fighting for their homelands and uh, trying to uh, beat down the Hamas uh, terrorists as they have kidnapped many and killed many uh, women and children beheading children it's it's not a it's not a pleasant fight so keep that in your thoughts it's not all the palestinians it's hamas and uh hezbollah that are doing this so don't uh, go out and do anything crazy against anyone you know that's uh from palestine or from uh, lebanon it is those who are in the militant organizations that are doing this and uh they will be dealt with by israel and uh, of course their friends and family but for tonight we have a decorated combat veteran coming to see us with multiple deployments. He served 31 years in the United States Army as both enlisted and officer, including nine years overseas in five countries. He earned over 30 service awards and badges and survived a wicked amount of military training. He has written two books, A Soldier Against All Odds, compiling all his life events in an inspiring storytelling format with the ups and downs of life in uniform and out of the uniform back into civilian life an invaluable resource for veterans seeking clear, actionable guidance to navigate the often complex landscape of VA benefits. So without further ado, let's welcome Jason Pike to the Misfit Nation. Welcome, Jason. 
Hey, Rich, how you doing? Now I can't can hear you. Now I got uh, you. Okay, I can hear you. All right, got you. <laughs> so Jason, how are you? I am doing fine, Rich, uh, here in San Antonio, Texas. So how's it going on your side? It's pretty good here, just outside of Nashville. Uh, uh, San Antonio is nice this time of year. It's not as hot as it was last month, hopefully. And uh, hopefully you're able to breathe a little better outside. The humidity is as well. Yeah, sure am. So, Jason, I gave a, a brief uh, a brief overview of, of who Jason is right there. If you don't mind, go a little more in depth about uh, as from as far back as you want to go. I don't think you have to go the whole 30 years back, but as far back as you want to go to how we got to where we are now. Okay. Um, I grew up in Georgia and in South Carolina. I'm a Southern guy uh, by, uh, by birth and by being raised. And in the earliest years of my life in Georgia growing up, I was considered a disabled learner. I failed the first grade and English and writing are my worst subjects, no doubt. Even though I got some best-selling books out there, I definitely had a whole lot of help. But no, I was identified three different times by professionals saying, you ain't right. <laughs> Something's going on here academically. And it is. And I, I do struggle on that side of the fence uh, academically. Um, physically, growing up, I had osteomyelitis. Um, <laughs> So uh, a good a good question might be how in the hell did you get into the damn army because you got to be physically fit and got to have some sort of uh, brains up there in your skull somewhere. Well, um, I, yeah, I joined the National Guard in the very beginning, and my entrance I don't know the answer to how the hell I got into the military, but uh, I did. I, I I think they just slid me on through. I think they just needed some numbers, and I got into field artillery. And then also, um, physically, I lied to them. I told them I was fine, and uh, I worked on my legs and things of that nature. And uh, this was way before the inter internet where they could check. And so I kind of slid in uh, to the military as a private, 17-year-old private. I didn't even have a, uh, I didn't even have a high school diploma at that time. So that's kind of how the early years started. Pretty, pretty rocky there. That definitely is a rocky start, uh, especially uh, getting a uh, getting told that you you're not going to learn well and uh, things like that as a youth, especially first grade. And my my God, that's got to be rough coming out of first grade, uh, getting told that and failing first grade at that much. But my teachers in the South, especially, I'm sure they were were very kind. They were kind about it, saying bless your heart and then pushing you forward, and then saying uh, you'll be the next teacher's problem at that time. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> I did the best I could academically, you know, uh, your, my mom and my father, they, like any other parent, they really stress the importance of education, but to, I've got three college degrees, but it was pretty much verified that that was not going to be in the place set. In other words, I might get into the military or I might join, I might be in agriculture, maybe work at a, you know, a bait and tackle shop of some sort or do agricultural work. But really being a professional and rising up through the ranks was definitely nowhere, not just the military, but nowhere was in that in the, in the horizons at all in my teenage years. And even a lot of the kids in the family, when they saw me, you know, getting promoted through the ranks in the military, they're like, what the hell is Jason doing? How in the hell did a dumbass like him do all this? 
that was kind of their thoughts and i'm not knocking them there was some logical uh there was some logical thought behind that but i just kept moving forward and i kept going and doing the best i could everywhere i went so that's kind of how that started and how that went on yeah yeah, definitely. And uh, it's good that you kept fighting and were able to join the military at 17 years old uh, as an enlisted man. You said 13, uh, 13 Bravo. Yeah, field artillery, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Yeah, 13 Woo! Bravo. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Go boom. Yeah, gotcha. That was, no, that was no joke. I mean, I nearly got kicked out in the first three weeks. I was not. I was not able to drink the damn water coming out of the fire hose. It was coming out too fast. <laughs> go here, go there, do this. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And I, they, they have pretty much like picked up at this guy. Yeah, he, he, he ain't uh, getting it together. And, and I wasn't. I, there was a lot of things. And um, they don't do this in the military, but there's a story in my book where they sent me, they sent, they sent the sorriest two privates, me and another guy. <laughs> to a criminal correctional facility it was not that we did anything criminal it was more of a motivational scared straight type of the deal where it was a different level of hell uh, than basic training and we went in there went through obstacle courses and all kinds of hell and came out all bloodied and broken up uh and uh that kind of straightened me out a bit in other words made me even become a little bit more motivated maybe more wired more tight than others but that story of going into that facility, uh, they don't have it anymore. It was at Fort Sill. That was a facility of hells on wheels. And it was a, basically it was a drug deal with the sergeants. So let's just send these guys over here and scare the shit out of them. And not only that, beat them up a little bit and have them come back to the platoon and maybe improve the entire other platoon as guinea pigs, you know, as if, as if, as if they're going to go next. But, um, yeah, so, uh, that was just, I, I did survive. I did, I did get through basic training, um, Fort Sill, uh, 13 weeks, uh, between my junior and senior year of high school. I was a little older because I had failed the first grade and uh, I came back totally changed. And, uh, I didn't know what was going on in my mind at the time, but I thought that I could do a whole lot more. And, uh, I may have to go at the, I may have to start at the bottom like go to a junior college someone you know they could take anybody who was lame lazy or crazy and they could forget the all the grades and all the other things and and that's kind of how i did it i just kind of went slower in education and uh, and i just step by step by step and then because to me it was getting that college degree what was going to be i wanted to become an officer i just didn't know how i didn't know what to do how rotc i did find a way that way but I just had to go slower with it because you got to have a degree. You got to have a college degree. And I did. I did get a college degree, but it wasn't anything technical. It was something easy. It was education. And I was on the five year plan or so. But uh, I did that as a reservist, the National Guard. We were this was at the bottom. National Guard. Well, they, they used to call us nasty girls, NGs, no go. And, uh, <laughs> and then uh, I, I eventually transferred out of that and went on to ROTC and then went in and got my commission and went on to active duty. And those were the beginning years of enlisted into the officership and then into active duty. Yeah. yeah I remember here at, uh, at Fort Campbell in the 90s, they still had something. Uh, there was like near D cell where they would send soldiers that were having issues with the adjusting. And they, they would learn them. They would learn them some stuff there in D cell, and uh, they'd come back and uh, 
come back and as better soldiers. Some of them wound up being sergeant majors after that. So it's cool. <laughs> cool. a move up, I guess. But they taught them some things in the in that D cell here. Okay. Yeah, they just put a lot of hell on me. We made big rocks into small rocks and screamed and yelled at a different level and uh, just. It was just a just a grueling. Basically, it was a four hour course uh, where it was just hell. And, uh, you know, he had identified me and, you know, as being a slow learner, uh, just not being able to get it. Adjusting. Like you said, it was adjustment. I mean, I, I would get up in the middle of the night from some damn dream and be standing out on the parade field at two o'clock in the morning at attention. And uh, I was I shouldn't have been out there. I was just it was so wired. It was just uh it, I was just not adjusting. I was just like, I was just wondering, my mind was just racing. And even when I was sleeping, I was in stress. And uh, so, uh, but I did make it out of there and uh, just, you know, by the skin of my chin. And uh, and uh, I thought that once I got out of there, I, I definitely could do some more things. I just, it's just <laughs> going to take me a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different road when, uh, when someone identifies you as that. And uh, they, well, they wanted to help you at least. They didn't want to put you out, which was, was some people's, uh, course of action at that time to just to give up on someone and push him away we don't want to help him let's let's get rid of him put him put him back in the civilian world but at least they uh, they put you kind of in the civilian world and learn just some things that brought you back <laughs> i know later in life later in your career you had a uh, i guess a lot of uh, fingers pointing at you for things you didn't do and uh you were put oh, yeah. to the grind you were put in a grind that was i guess towards the end of your career i guess this happened yeah, um, we could go straight there. I, I was, I was a senior guy. Um, I was uh, under a federal investigation for espionage and uh, subversion oh, wow. against the U.S. government. Which, I mean, I'll admit to you in my book what I did do that was screwed up and things that I adjusted adjustment things. But there's there's things in the military called go, there's there's ghost lighting being thrown under the bus. I, I never, I never thought these things would occur in the military. It was it totally blindsided me to be thrown under the bus. Um, uh, yeah, so I was in South Korea. I was there. I had I had been to South Korea three different times for tours. That's a tour of duty, a place that we go to. And so I was very familiar with the job and the land. I was a lieutenant colonel. Um, I, there were some people. There's there's politics in the military as well, and there's there's people that have turf and. Uh, if you don't walk on the walk, if you don't walk the walk, according to some people, um, and they have their turf, uh, they had a particular person who really wanted to do research papers and things of that nature in the medical field. I just, I sort of disagreed to do that. That wasn't my strength anyway. I, I told him and some other people uh, that I didn't want to do that. And I, I felt my strengths were more leadership and things of that administration and things of that nature. But the bottom line is I was facing a lot of bu bullshit accusations. Okay. The, that federal investigation, that was a formal investigation, but they tried a few things on me in that chapter that I wrote about. The first thing is they put a rumor out through the garrison that I was a damn pedophile. And oh, now I, I did that. That didn't work. So what it, that was just a rumor. They wanted to throw around to see what they could do to get me out. They wanted me out of South Korea. They wanted me out of that job. They, they really wanted me out of the damn army. And uh, I, I did have a daughter. She went to the uh, Seoul elementary school, the elementary school on post. And I did go eat lunch with her and things. And I was a playful father, but it wasn't a pedophile. Once that didn't happen and once that didn't work later on, I give them credit. 
um, they, they changed it up. Then I went through formal in, uh, investiga investigation of subversion and espionage against the U.S. government. That's where CID, Criminal Investigation Division, got involved and military intelligence. And it was total bullshit. But people followed me around, uh, computer crashes, monitoring, just various. My security clearance was challenged, but it was I maintained my security clearance. I went through a whole series of bullshit for about a year and a half, maybe two years during that two, during that time. My name was Mud. It became Mud pretty much to the higher level people that manage you, that put you in places or around the world, around wherever you are assigned to. So I became like the Mud. They didn't know what to do with me because they'd heard so much crap. Is he a pedophile? Is he a freaking spy uh, or this or that? And I'm sure they, they heard all there was a lot of things. And so, um, I, you know, and so that's what happened. And my stress level went to the highest. My I've been to Afghanistan. I've been to El Salvador. Like I said, I've been I've lived in a lot of different places and uh, I, I've been around. I've, I've jumped out of airplanes, been in a special operations group for a while. So I had done a whole lot of things before then. I had a pretty good record. At, but that was the most stressful time that I've ever had was my own people being thrown under the bus by the own people that you're actually working with. And uh, I would rather go to Afghanistan or any be shot at any time than go through what I just went through with that uh, investigation. But uh, a lot of these things. So when you're in the military or the government, what have you, you're pretty much set. I mean, you got to kill somebody to actually, you know, be thrown out. You have to do something really wicked. But they can try. They can try to transfer you out. They can they can throw rumors out and accusations out, and you know, and then try to see what they can do to get you out of there. And um, so that's what they were doing. And I, I was it was hard. I, I just stayed with it, and uh, I went through that investigation. Everything was clean. It was good, and uh, maintained my security clearance. But that was a deep, uh, deep, dark time. And a lot of people will say, well, what about Afghanistan? And well, my shirt here is combat vet. My one of my sergeants gave me this from Afghanistan. But I would go to Afghanistan anytime than have to go through a bunch of bullshit investigation stuff that I didn't do. <laughs> I think you can you can ask any uh, any vet combat veteran to the man or woman where would where they had the most fun in the military and it's not in garrison. It's it was when they were deployed overseas. And they had to rely on uh, the person to the right and left. And that, I mean, it, yes, was it tense? Uh, hell yeah. But was there times when you just had a great time just hanging out with your best friends, basically, and your family? Yeah, yeah. And it's best. And everything is much more simple when you're overseas in the combat deployment. Uh, Korea, uh, I also said three times when you said three times, woo, me too, another three times are good. But uh, it's a fishbowl. Korea is uh, basically a fishbowl for the military. And, uh, if you're swimming in that fishbowl and see when someone doesn't like you, like what happened to you, basically, the arrows start going at you. And every time you swim around, another arrow comes at you until they, like you said, they try to get you out of there. They try to push you out. And the, it, thankfully, you're still here with us and you're not a, they didn't make it stick anyway or fake, fake it till they made it. But thankfully, you were able to fight. Yeah, very hard time. Um, a lot of people ask me what would I have done different, what they can learn from this. Uh, it might be in the corporate world. I mean, uh, you know, if you can write the details down of what's going on around you, the details don't lie. And if you could do that, <laughs> well, for me, I was under I was under so much stress that I, I could not even write a complete sentence. I couldn't. 
I did a little bit of that, but it's sort of, you're, you're in a survival mode and for the most part, and you've got your eyes in the back of your head and you're wondering what's going on and you're in a high level of anxiety, a, a prolonged state of anxiety and stress. That's where my post-traumatic stress started from. It was in Afghanistan. It was in that damn, like you say, it's a fishbowl. It was a fishbowl. Yeah. And so that's where it started at. That was the first time I sought mental health was there and, and as a lieutenant colonel when it was not popular, especially among officers to go to mental health counseling. But uh, that I had to do something. There's a few things that you could do. You could write down the details and give them to some people that are trusted in the organization and that you trust. It could be a chaplain. Not that you're going to get spiritual help, but the chaplain right. has special privileges to the command. It could be to the inspector general, not because they're going to do an investigation or there, it's because they have special privileges to the command. Or it could be to a medical official. You could tell a medical person, hey, you know, I'm under so much, this is, this is what's going on. These are the details. They could slip, you know, a word into the higher level command. So because you have to go through the chain of command. But my damn chain of command was all fucked up. <laughs> so the people above me were fucked up. So how, I can't, I, I can't go around that. I have to. So, but you can go to other avenues. Maybe uh, in the police. Maybe there's quality control people somewhere or, or in your organization. But I think if I could have gone with details to the chaplain in hindsight or to the IG inspector general, I think that would have helped me out a little bit more than just trying to survive for a long period of time and not get much help from the organization. And uh, you were in Seoul, uh, what, if you don't mind, what were you there? What did, did this occur? I mean, uh, I was there uh, three times. That last time I was there from 2007 to 2010, I was there three years on that last tour that I had. I was there eight to 10. So I was there at the same time as you. I was right there with the Signal Brigade in, in yeah. Seoul. Yeah, yeah. So I was well, the first I was brought up on the top of that Dragon Hill Lodge. That's where they put the that's where they did my started my investigation up on. The, I think it's right above there, above military intelligence on the Dragon Hill, and yeah. that's where my command, full colonel, 18th Medcom commander, and me and CID and MI all were there to be briefed on bullshit that I didn't do, <laughs> and where more importantly, I had to survive the investigation that never mounted. Exactly. And, and you missed out on really, you had to deal with all that instead of, you know, being able to take your family around the country, you probably were blacklisted from everything, had to stay on post and stuff. So that's, yeah. that's really horrible. And uh, I'm glad, like I said earlier, I'm glad you were able to fight through it. And I was definitely there uh, for at least two of the years during this incident. So that's uh -huh. uh, amazing how our paths always cross in the military. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. You're the, yeah, that's a, uh, yeah, I was there in, in Seoul, right there at the, yeah, right, Yongsong Garrison. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I lived down in, uh, what's it, uh, Hanamdong. Yeah, 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 you, you were a little bit off post. I was up on the hill near E21 Acres near the gas station. That's where yeah, I, was I know right where you were, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, first I was up there in Weejambu, uh, my family stayed down there, and then the, the brigade brought me down to the brigade level, so, so I can be with them. So, yep. yeah. so it was nice of them. So, I mean, after that, uh, I'm sure you came back to the States and did you process out right after that or did you take a little while to get cleared I, I up stayed, and retire? I stayed a little longer. Uh, what I did is I uh, I went to, from there, I basically went back to the States and got picked up a command for Afghanistan. I picked up a, a detachment command in Afghanistan. I think um, this was a time when I got redeemed 
at that same, when I came back, like you said, from that federal investigation, my mind was, I was just, I didn't know what the hell happened. Uh, uh, at the same time, my father died. And then when my father died, Jesus. I was in the process of going to Afghanistan. I had a one, two, three punch. One was that federal investigation and more. There's more to that chapter than that. There was other stuff. And then I went, my dad died. I was back in the States. And then I'm going to Afghanistan. <clears throat> Afghanistan to me was a mitre. It was a way to get redeemed. I felt I could get redeemed if I do well. And I, and I did extra well. I did. We did very well over there. But and, and when I was in Afghanistan, I was fighting the memory of the federal investigation. I was fighting my father and I was grieving my father in a war zone. In many ways in Afghanistan, I, I had a death wish. I wanted to. I was not scared at all. I was kind of like hoping to to get killed. That's not good, but my mind state was not right at that time. And um, I just said, I'm just going to take care of my soldiers and, and maybe I'll get redeemed out of here. I'm in the depth of hell. I'm in Afghanistan, but that, it, you know, it, it, it was one of those situations where I said, I wasn't scared. Let's, let's do it. Let's get this stuff going on. Let's do this tour. And uh, because I'd already been through hell. So Afghanistan wasn't really wasn't nothing because of my mind state. And, uh, let's get, and I did. I, we did really well. I got the bronze star. But more importantly, that's the best evaluation I ever had. In many ways, I was running off of adrenaline. And I was like, I was wanting to get back in a way. I was like, I'm going to get back. I'm going to do well. If there was a way for me to go kill the Taliban with my own damn shit, I would have done it. I was like, ah, because I didn't share you. I'll, I'll just go out there and do stuff. And I was, I was going to make a, you know, make a mark there, come back. And I did. I did. We did well. Took a toll on me. Took a big toll on me. There's no doubt. And it was more of the other stuff that went on before then. Come back. And they said, you're good. Just go, man. And I said, what about all that bullshit over there? And no, we don't know anything about that. Okay, well, my name was Mud. Now I'm I got hung on the cross down there, and now I'm coming back from the dead. And I did, I come back from the dead. They said you can have any place you want. It's like there's a if you do well in war, and if you do well, there was like a secret handshake where you take any take any <laughs> you want to. I said, I, and I, I told the family, I said, What do y'all want to do? Said, well, they're offering me Germany, it's an easy assignment. We can go hang out and travel there if you want to. I was burned. I was totally, I'll go over there. Well, I'll hang out, drink beer, travel around Europe, and just sort of uh, go on the road, retired on active duty. In other words, I'm done. I'm going to do medical, get the hell out of here. And that, and they, they call it the road. And, and, I, and I did. I basically went to the retired on active duty, not really doing a whole lot on the way, looking to get the heck out of the Army. Because I was, at that time, I was totally burned. And I did. I, I, I got out from Germany and um, and then moved to Texas. Moved down to Texas. All right. And so uh, you can find this like I'm a stalker here, but right after my time in Korea, I spent 60 days at Fort Campbell and, and met my unit in, in Afghanistan, in Kandahar. And that's wow. where the Misfit Nation comes from. The platoon I uh, had the honor of leading there were the Misfits. And from 10 to 11, we were in Kandahar, Afghanistan. Uh, uh, Fob Wilson or Fob Passab, I think they named it after we left. Uh, and that's where the Misfit Nation came from. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I was in Kandahar just for about six weeks. They had readjusted things, and I went down there with like my command, and we just kind of processed out of 
that was a hellhole. It was a, they had the poop on there. The place yes. smelled of damn poop everywhere. You know? Yeah, we, so, uh, we were off to the east, to the west of there, so we weren't. We were off the actual air base, so we were good. We we lived <laughs> in a different type of hellhole. <laughs> okay, gotcha. All righty. Wow. Okay. So, so ten and eleven, I was in Kandahar. Twelve, I was in Kunar. Wow. Well, yeah, we our our paths crossed a few times. Yeah. <laughs> That's what when, what you said is, oh man, this this is like a summer stalker now. I'm following everywhere. <laughs> so yeah. now you're out. You're in San Antonio. What do you do in San Antonio now? Besides writing books that are bestsellers. Yeah, doing some best-selling books, uh, working out, uh, walking my dogs. Uh, my daughter just graduated uh, in May from uh, College uh, Station in Texas. Uh, yeah, Texas A&M. And so I uh, kind of chase after her a little bit, just check up on her and things. And uh, but uh, that's basically it. Exercising, managing my post-traumatic stress uh, on a daily basis is kind of what I do in the books and doing a lot of podcasts and things. And um, in the future, there will be some more books that will come out that we have. And uh, so we got a few ideas. And uh, so I'm probably going to be on this book thing for a little while. Yeah. You found your passion. That's good. Uh, yeah. Tell us about your uh, your other book, the book uh, about uh, what to do when you get out of the military. Yeah. So the first one was A Soldier Against All Odds, a memoir of 31 years in the military, A Soldier Against All Odds. Wild and crazy ass stories in here, no doubt. Uh, misfit. I like the misfit. I was kind of a misfit in a way. I was. I was kind of a misfit. Now, the other book, I don't have a, I just got, it's called Back to, it, I don't, it, it's so new that I don't even have a copy myself, but uh, yeah, it's out of the uniform, back into civilian life, and what that is, is your benefits, how to get your money, how to get your benefits, um, and that you need to do it, and uh, and I try to break it down in a southern, easy style with links and things. It's a short book. It's a short read and not necessarily, you might not want to read all of it. You might want to use it as a reference guide to what you do to get the, get your benefits. And a lot of veterans out there like thinking, no, 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 it's not for me because I'm going to save that money for the combat veterans. Well, that's not necessarily a good answer because you've already served, you deserve it. And it's one of those things. It's you know, it, 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 you're not going to save the damn money. Any, you're not saving anybody money by not getting your benefits. They want you to do it. And so a lot of excuses out there. I do know it's difficult uh, to get it. Sometimes a lot of people have to try and try and try again to get it. But I do think even if you come out with a zero point, you want to get in, get your foot in there because you don't know what happens in the future and you can relate things back. It's more than just money. Uh, there's free trips. There's free shit. There's healthcare. There's healthcare. there's so much stuff out there. It's almost mind-boggling. Meaning, um, just the, it's not just, a lot of people think. Well, it, yes, it is the largest healthcare organization in the world, and yes, it's hard to get. It's a bureaucratic. There's a lot of you know paperwork. But once you get in there, it's more than just a monthly little stipend and tax-free money that you get. There's second and third and fourth order benefits that come with it. A lot of people may not realize that. Definitely. And I think uh, it's a big eye opener for a lot of vet young veterans, especially when they come out, they, they think they're just kicked out. They're done, done with the military. Now they have nothing. And they, they're afraid to say I'm hurt or anything happened to me. So they don't go to the VA, but which I like now. And when I got out in 2015, they weren't doing this. Now they make them uh, coincide with their, uh, their retirement physical or ETS physical. They do their VA stuff at the same time. So by the time they get out, 
they have their rating and everything at the same time. Instead of waiting, at, I think it was 60 days when I got out from the time I retired to the time I had my rating. But now it's it's simultaneous, and it's it's a better, much, much more streamlined thing now than it was when I got out. Yeah, you have to go through mandatory transitional assistance, and uh, right. I went through that a few times and uh, try to learn about it. And, uh, yeah, so uh, I did Personally, I did very well. I got out with 100% right out the get-go, <laughs> but I, I did well. That doesn't normally happen. Uh, a lot of people will have to, you know, go back and forth a few times. And uh, but no, I think you need to stick with it. That's what I think. Uh, and uh, and just and just stick with it and go for it. And uh, even if it comes out with a 10% or a zero percent, you're not going to affect your employment. If you want to work, right. you can work. And a lot of there's so many misconceptions. If you want to. Matter of fact, being dis well, I don't even like the term disabled because it, it means that you can't do shit, which is not that's not true. You can do you can work and you can do other things. It's just what they have is the term is disabled better. But um right. you know, uh, it might make your employment opportunity much higher and it could be with the government. Yeah. So you might get a priority placement because you're disabled. I know it. Doesn't doesn't make sense, but that, no, no, it's just that's the way things work, you know. That's just kind of how it goes. You know? so. It doesn't say you're not employable, unless it does. If it does say that, then that's a whole other thing. If it says yeah. you're a P, yeah, that would be categorized as unemployability. That's yeah. a different, yeah. yeah then, then you can have someone as your caretaker or a caregiver, and you're getting you two checks, uh, one for them, one for you, and mm -hmm. that's a whole other world that's, when you yeah. get to that. Yeah, there's just so much out there, and, and then. You, you just put the paperwork in and do it. And you, you may not use it now. You may not, right. you, you, it may be later on. And then there's a lot of veterans who say, well, I wish I had applied back then. It was like, and I didn't know about it. Well, you can now, you can do it. You can try to get in there and get your benefits and get your, even if you didn't know about it. I, I understand that because I thought the VA, I thought the veterans, I thought it was for people that were combat wounded, which is true. It's not, it's for anybody who served really, who, whoever right. is a veteran, you know? And, you know, you, well, the only injury I got was playing uh, nighttime basketball and I hurt my ankle. Well, that, that, you know, that or, you know, I, I had a car crash. Well, it's like your government property and it may have not occurred on duty. It could have done. You could have been your own damn fault. But you still get your veterans benefits from the injury because it's your government property. And and so, yeah, and a lot of people feel guilty. They think. Well, you know, I was in the air chair force. I mean, the air force, and I didn't do anything. And I sat on a chair all the no. And still, I mean, whatever happened, just go ahead and apply, and maybe you might come out with a zero. But you fear you may have benefits in the future from that. And that's zero. As long as you have zero, you're in the system. That's the you're thing the that you, you yeah. have to understand that you're in the system. And uh, if it wasn't for our the generation before us that served in Vietnam, who fought and came back to really nothing. And uh, they, a lot of them are disgruntled with the VA, and a lot of them wouldn't go once they were told, no, you, know, you get no benefits, not service-connected. Your foot, yeah, was blown off, but that's not service-connected. Uh, go somewhere else and take care of that. So they were disgruntled against it. So, But their fight when they got into, like, the VFWs and uh, other organizations helped us when we got out. And uh, if, without their fight, it wouldn't be as good as it is now for us and for the next generation after us. Yeah. Definitely gotten better. I can tell you that. Not better. A hundred percent better. Oh, yeah. So where's a good place for people to get in touch with you, Jason? Yeah, you can go to my 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 website, jasonpike.org. Jasonpike.org. That's going to connect you to the two books. My two books are on Amazon. 
Uh, and so, yeah, you can find them there. You find them at, as, and also my, all my social media, I'm on LinkedIn and face all the other stuff that's at jasonpike.org. And then you can connect me there and, and go through and go to that way. Yep. Even on, he's even on TikTok. So for the, the younger <laughs> veterans, he's on TikTok too. I don't know if he dances or just puts videos, but he's there. So yeah, I just got a handle. I, I don't think I, I don't think I've been to TikTok too many too many times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I put snippets of the videos on here. I don't do any dancing. Uh, I did a couple of videos with me, and my brother. Uh, he's he's my consigliere here in the chat room. Here, make sure there's no riffraff in there. We uh, worked a NASCAR race here in Nashville, and he videoed me. We put that right on TikTok so we could get some more, more people to see what we were doing at the race for veterans. Okay. Cool. Cool. That'll do, but I'm, I'm not doing crazy dances and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is next for you, Jason? Next things I'm going to be doing, uh, matter of fact, it's tomorrow. We're, we're, we've been working on another book having to do with what we talked about a little bit. It's going to be about toxic leadership, about abusive uh, playing games and what to do about it and how to handle that. We talked a little bit about the federal investigation, but I, I kind of want to go in a little bit more. I think there are some very uh, screwed up, jacked up leaders out there. And uh, there's a regulation in the Army on toxic leadership, by the way, which means that, that means so, yeah. So, I just want to go into that, tell some stories and what to do about it and help other people in those times uh, that they feel that they're alone and there's there's no way out. And uh, I think that um, and, it, and it may not just be the military. It could be corporate world probably has some games and stuff being played. So oh, yeah. it could be anywhere, really. It could be on the school grounds. It could be. <laughs> in, you know, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's everywhere. No matter where you look, it's there. It's just uh, like for you, it was the fishbowl effect. Uh, the military is fishbowl and a lot of people in the military don't see don't really think of the toxic leadership as at the level you were at as a lieutenant colonel at that level having someone above you being toxic towards you it's usually they feel it at the lowest level where the toxic leadership is usually reported or uh, identified in the articles or ig complaints or eo complaints stuff like that but to have it happen to someone as senior as you is an eye-opener for people from both sides from those higher than you and those that are subordinate to you in the chain of command so that's a big thing to put out there yeah oh yeah so uh yeah we think that'll hit a good population there so uh that's kind of what I'm, my next one's out. i got a few other ideas out there i got uh, so uh it, now that i've got my creativity thing going on i got more <laughs> thoughts about what to do and what other little books and it could be smaller books and things of that nature um uh, so I, I failed the expert field medical badge. That's like the ranger tab to the infantry. The expert field medical badge is like, it's like a, it, at the time it was a 15% pass rate. And it took me three times to get it. I fell into shit. I almost drowned in shit getting it the first time up there on the BMZ. And, but I, I feel that I could just have a, how to do it. I, I, I should know how to do it. I've already, I tried to do it three. I got three times. I got it. So, so I thought about just doing a handy self-help guide to that for medical people. That and that's. Uh, but no, there's a whole lot of little things out there I could write about and teach other people and entertain other folks. Or uh, yeah, stories from a storytelling standpoint. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, EFMB is a, you can tell a lot of stories from the, from the lanes, getting in the lanes, and the, the two weeks of agony before and the two weeks of agony during. Uh, so a lot of people don't really look at the EFMB, they see the EIB or they see the, the expert soldier stuff now, but they don't usually look at the EFMB, but I get to see it a lot here at Fort Campbell. We usually help them with stuff with our with my uh, day job. 
and they they struggle and it's a suck it's a suck fest you know no matter the only way to put it it's a suck fest to, to do you get your EFMB and if you get it on true blue the first time good on you right yeah so uh yeah i got that creativity i got that passion thing going on and uh the the hardest book for me personally was the first one the soldier against all odds because i had to give you my vulnerability and i had i told you things that would make a I don't know. It would make a sailor blush with shame, you know. And so, but I, I had to put it out there. I, and, and it's a success story, but it, it's also showing that you've done a lot of bad things, good things, but also things that were not your fault. And it's a memoir. I had to dig it up, and uh, so that, that was a hard one. And once I got, now that I've got that out there and I've talked about it, these other things they don't seem they seem easy to me. These things, other ideas I've got, they seem so much easier than going through that first book. So uh, that's kind of where I'm going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. And Jason, if you could give three tips to the young men or women that are about to get out of the military, what would that be? Oh, well, if you're getting out of the military, you need to maximize that damn transitional program. I know you, you might think it sucks. It's a bunch of PowerPoint slides and things of that nature. Get, go through it two or three different times. Start planning your future out out of them. I don't. Yeah, you might have a sergeant, hard ass sergeant or officer. Do it. Try to do it. I mean, what are they going to do? Kick you out? I mean, you know, you're getting out anyway. So try to get the try to maximize that transitional program once you're getting out. It could be, you know, you have resume writing, you've got budgeting skills, you got. We talked about the VA and things of that nature, but there's a lot of little nuggets in there. Uh, and you might want to go a few different times. I did. I went there a few different times. And, uh, and you know, just like any other job, you know, you might know, you might get out and not know what you're going to do like me. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. I'd been in the Army for 31 damn years. So I had to play around. I had to look around, see what I liked and my passion. It may take some time to do that. It, it may, but uh, show up like anything else. Show up at the right place at the right time with the right attitude. And you'll be better. You'll be doing better than most, even if you don't know a damn thing. Right time, right place, right attitude, and just go for it. And I help, I didn't know how to write a damn book. I didn't know how to market a book. Now I do. So I failed English. So I failed English. So uh, yeah. So just uh, kind of go for it. If you make some mistakes, you can learn from them. I've definitely learned a lot <laughs> doing this book, these books, and stuff. So. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for those tips. Thanks for sharing your story. And uh, I'm glad you fought through it and you're here to share that with us and uh, share that with the next generation. So the same thing doesn't happen to them. And your next book will hopefully open the eyes of many to see what actually goes on and uh, how they can deal with it and get away, get away from it. Hey, you're welcome, Rich. Uh, I was honored to be on your show and we'll stay in touch. Awesome. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Did you serve in the military? If so, you can obtain a free lifetime pass to more than 2,000 federal recreation sites. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. That's themisfitnation.com. Check out all of our past episodes and get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are Misfit Nation. Misfit Nation.